Honestly, Cat is back with Series 3, and I'm so excited. I'm your host, Cat Raincock, and I have been overwhelmed with support for this podcast. And my mission to educate and empower women is coming to fruition. There's lots in store for you over the coming weeks, and I'm so glad to have you on board. As my book, Born to Shine, The Modern Woman's Guide to a Happier Life, spreads its wings and touches more hearts, it has led to deeper and greater connection to other women, particularly in the field that I work as a women's mentor. These wonderful women will be alongside me sharing their wisdom and chewing the cud on all things that will help you rise and shine and live a happier life. So hold tight, here we go. I remember during my early days of working with a coach, when I moaned and groaned about the trivialities of life, and she turned to me and said, suffering is a choice. And of course she was right. We can choose to see the negative in every situation. We can be bogged down with hanging out with emotional vampires, fill our diaries up and then roll our eyes at our over-busy lives, unconsciously create conflict and disagreement as a way to unload our anger and project our own bitterness and resentment. We can wallow in our low vibration emotions and feed the fear that engulfs our lives. This is suffering. We can choose to live a life filled with these headaches or we can choose to live a life where we are the empowered one and we choose to interpret a situation, place or person with conscious awareness, clarity and openness to the gift that it comes with. Life is a teacher and life need not be filled with burden. You can be free from suffering when you unload the emotions that are behind your attachment to that suffering. I'm joined this week by Nicola Barton, life mentor and writer, who is committed to supporting people in finding freedom from whatever their particular form of suffering is. She makes a point of saying that while meditation, yoga, and anything that leads us to our soul can be very useful to drop us out of our heads and into our hearts, but none of these practices are prerequisites to peace. She has a tale to tell herself following her journey of freedom. And as we know, the body keeps score and it shouted loudly at her to take notice and that she finally did. Here's Nicola to share her story and empower you to turn away from suffering and embrace the freedom that you so rightly deserve. Welcome to the show, Nicola. I would love it if you could give us some background about your story and how you got into the work that you do now. Sure, and thank you for having me as well. It's um, it's nice to come and have a chat. My story of suffering kind of goes um, quite far back, actually, to, to when I was about four years old. Um, and so I guess that's part of my journey, really. But um, yeah, it, it, my first day of school was my probably my earliest kind of recollection of suffering when when my dad actually. Um, left the family home on the, on the first day that I was starting school and um it was also the same week that I was uh, my parents were meant to be um collecting my adopted sister uh, Mariana from Romania who I'd met um but sadly she didn't get to come because my dad had kind of um chosen to walk away and start a new life so so yeah that was my earliest memory of suffering and I think um he then kind of dipped in and out of my life for the remainder of my, of my childhood. Um, 
And I think that kind of led me into a sort of perfectionism. You know, I was always looking to the external um, as to how I could kind of fix myself and how I could be better than I was now. Um, And that led to me kind of burning out with chronic fatigue syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, which meant that I actually couldn't walk. So so I was kind of wheeled around the house in an office chair by my nan. Um, and again, kind of taken to various different appointments um to try and to try and heal. And eventually I did heal. Um and, and it, I had a year off school. Um, but when I when I returned to school, you know, I, I did get better. Um but then again my dad dipped in and out of my life and and at, at 17 he bought me some slim fast for my birthday and yeah and then I, I developed an eating disorder which um I had for about three years um and I had sort of cognitive behavioral therapy lots of different lots of different things and and that kind of planted a seed about how how the role of thought impacts us um in our lives um and again, I kind of recovered, um, but we're still always searching for something. And I and I ended up working in a really stressful job as a brand manager. Um, and eventually, again, still that perfectionism trait was was in there. And I, I burnt out um, in that job and eventually got chronic fatigue syndrome again. Um, so at that point, I sort of realized, actually, you know, there's something I've got to do something differently. So I set out on a on a journey, kind of looking to all the variety of different holistic therapies, because I'd always actually wanted to be a holistic therapist um, or a complementary therapist or involved in something along those lines. And um, and so I kind of set out on this mission to train in everything and just explore it all, which I did. And so I trained in different things like aromatherapy, reflexology, Reiki. Um, homeopathy yoga meditation even traveling as far as Bali um to kind of explore these different therapies and when I was there I realized that actually um well in Bali I thought I'd found my inner peace and I was quite smug about it (laughs) (laughs) until I came home and then I realized I hadn't found my inner peace at all and so that got me curious I was like well what's going on what's going on here? Why, why am I still, you know, I'm still suffering after all of these different tools and techniques that I've investigated. And what I found was, um, or what I had a sudden insight, um, about was when I actually was speaking to somebody, uh, I had a mentor and they explained how the role of thought works in our life and, and how everything that we feel, everything that we experience through life is all coming from our thinking. And I realized the reason that I had felt better in the meditation was actually because I was thinking that I was better. So I I tapped into my soul um, more than more than anything else. So. So, yeah, that's what's kind of led me to this point today where I share and help people as a life mentor kind of see something different about how the mind works and, and find a lighter experience of suffering, because since then, my life's been a lot easier so <laughs> and when you talk about suffering mm. um obviously there were there were the key incidents that took place in your early childhood mm. and 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 one might call them the wounds or trauma and and I talk about trauma in my book and we 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 immediately go to the thought that it's something um really extreme Mm. in order to create trauma and actually that isn't the case 
When you talk about suffering, do you see a pattern of because those early incidents created, you know, a pain inside you and sadness and hurt Mm. and abandonment and all, all, you know, an array of different um, things happening to you emotionally and then physically? Does one become addicted to suffering and those feelings? So when life starts to look good, you're almost not used to it because you're used to the uh, the early imprint of suffering and and trauma and pain and sadness. So we the mind goes back to that feeling because it's familiar. Yeah, I think we're kind of conditioned into um, into our experience of suffering. If that makes sense, I don't know whether you understand what I mean by that, but I think um, we can only ever. What well, I came to see as as I kind of explored more about this this mind stuff was that we can only ever really experience our suffering through our thinking. Now that doesn't that doesn't mean that we don't experience our suffering um, or that we shouldn't or that we should fix or change our thinking in order to be more positive. That's not what I'm saying. And I think that's a common misunderstanding of, of the message that I'm trying to spread. If we're addicted to it, then I guess it's it's only through our um habitual thinking about it, if that answers that question. Because we can only kind of experience it through our our thinking about it. So the only moment that we have really ever in life is now. So when we're when we're thinking about our suffering, it's it's only because we're thinking about the the suffering that has occurred to us already. Um, Mm. You know, whereas if we're if we're maybe anxious and suffering in that way, then we're we're thinking about predicting the future. So it's all created by our thinking. Um, not that that means that there's anything wrong with any of that, because um, at, that's just our experience. You know, we're human. And I think we also forget in our humanness that suffering is normal. Like you say, it doesn't have to be um, these big global disasters for us to suffer. It's it's um, it's not something that has to be seen as, you know, those big heavy things um it can be the day-to-day suffering that we have as well, whether that's kind of anxious thinking or, you know, feeling low or whatever it might be. I recently went to an Eckhart Tolle um, an evening mm, with him and wonderful. he talks a lot about this, how it's this attachment to the narrative and this internal dialogue yeah. that, that does the damage. And I actually wrote down, just I happen to have it open next to me of course that's always the way the way these things work and it's and he said it is the narrative you put around the situation that creates unhappiness Mm. not the conditions that exist but the mental narrative you have in your mind and it's actually about detach like you say the thought patterns it's actually about detaching and not in an unemotional sense but observing them with curiosity and going that's interesting that thoughts just come up but that thought is not me and it's not mine I exactly I you know I am okay as I sit here if I attach myself to that thought I can then say I'm unhappy this is a nightmare I can't bear this this is awful and and it's the narrative that that affects it And, and you're absolutely right it goes back to those early those early memories you said um when you were four years old it was the moment your dad left and I wondered if you would share the effects of the uh, of of your father's abandonment of you how that's affected you and and also the marriage split because I think sometimes we normalize these things and go yeah well my dad left when I was young and 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 I'm fine it hasn't really affected Mm -hmm. me and actually 
most of my work is me re-educating my clients and and they've shut down emotionally they've closed down their heart because they they don't want to admit that that hurt them so much but actually actually consequently it has impacted their life so much how would you say the father wound has affected you yeah I would say for most of my life um I suffered with the impact of um my dad leaving and and it it kind of I always suffered with feeling very abandoned um Mm -hmm. but it was interesting actually because I had I had constantly experienced that um kind of sense of not being enough and and the insights about love that I have had since and how and about how I am whole are really interesting because I used to for example sit and do a lot of affirmations because I would suffer with feeling sort of not good enough and I would say you know I am enough and I'd sit in front of the mirror and and so one of the interesting things about although we say about the the role of thought one of the things that people often hear in my message is that we need to change our thoughts um and it's not necessarily about that it is like you said before it's seeing seeing those thoughts that as being kind of you know we're we're the observer of the thoughts and I think I didn't really realize that when I was younger and so I would just believe a lot of the thoughts that came up as a response to my dad leaving um mm. so like you say how I how I like to describe the thoughts is like we're kind of playing a mo- our own movie in our head all of the time um and so yeah when I was younger I didn't realize that I didn't know that I was thinking I was kind of walking around not blissfully unaware <laughs> not blissfully um mm. yeah aware of it um I was kind of I didn't it didn't make sense to me I just believed everything that was in my head about about it so every thought that was in there I thought was real and it wasn't till I came across this understanding that I now share that I realized that just because there's a thought in your head doesn't mean that it's real and so until that point everything really impacted me and I used to be very up and down with my emotions uh, really suffering with the idea that I wasn't enough and that I should be loved and that I and that I wasn't lovable um, because that's really the message that I the narrative that I had picked up in response to my dad leaving um, mm. but I did eventually begin begin to see that um, just because it made sense to him in that moment to leave it didn't really mean anything about me unless I meant it to be to mean that yeah um, yeah and I remember actually um, talking about how it affected my behavior in my relationship I um I always used to get very angry and I would I'd fight with my partner and then I would kind of run away and leave you know basically doing the same sort of thing and and in that moment I would expect my partner to chase me and be like well come back and he he never did and I used to get really quite offended mm. about it and I was like hang on mm. why are you not chasing me this isn't this isn't right and and I realized all of a sudden I had this it was like somebody had just pulled the, the end of a ball of wool and all these insights came to me and I realized oh that's so interesting why I'm, I'm curious now so I asked my partner I said why is it that you don't chase after me when we've had an argument and I've run off and he said well that's not love is it and I realized mm. that was just the lesson that I had learned. That was the the thinking that I wow. had kind of gained from, from that experience with my dad. And I realized that wasn't, that love looks different to everyone. And in that yeah. moment, I also realized love looked different to my dad even, you know, it, yeah. it, just because he left, you know, it wasn't necessarily anything to do with me. 
but I had taken it to mean that for all of my life. And what I had missed was if I had just seen that, you know, our true nature is love. We're all lovable. That's who we are underneath. That's that's not something we can actually argue with. That's just a fact. It's just we can't see it because we're so in our thinking all of the time that we just don't remember who we really are. You talk about um, the eating disorder that you developed. It's actually something I've never um, talked about on mm. here. How uh, Now that the work that you've done with a therapist, how, what have you learned from how you used the eating disorder? What, what, were, what were you trying to say with that? Like what, or what was, you know, is it purely, you know, I know that I, I don't work with women um, as such with eating disorders. Mm. It's not a speciality of mine, but what I do know from it is that it, it's linked to control. Mm. But, what, you know, what did you learn about, about that so that other women who are listening to this can understand where an eating disorder may have manifested, what may or may not have been behind yeah. it? Well, again, I think from now my understanding is um, that basically – any kind of disorder, really, any any kind of illness or or you know, in terms of mental health, um, is all just a misunderstanding about something. So, for me, it was a misunderstanding about how I thought about food, um, and there is some element of control in that. I think for me specifically, because I was again trying to control my environment and and change you know, how I looked, which was somewhat external. And so, yeah, the eating disorder is for me now to make sense of it. It's just that I was having eating disordered thinking. And I think we so often try to make meaning out of things. Um, and so I could sit here and say, yes, it was linked to this, or it was linked to that, or it was linked to that. And, and, you know, in my own mind, it makes sense to link it to the fact that my dad um, brought me slim fast. But in reality, it was just that I had a bunch of, um, strange thinking about how about food um but I know that whenever we have a, a, a load of strange thinking that it's often because we are trying to fix or control and, and deal with some kind of uncertainty and find our way home if that makes sense find our way out of you know to, back to feeling um whole I guess or you know happy or whatever it is we're looking for. And, and for me, the biggest lesson that I've learned is that that is underneath all of the thinking always there. We're, we're, whatever we want to be, we already are and we just don't see it. So if, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, I think the valid thing is here is that I remember reading it in a book um, when I was reading about, uh, you know, my kids and positive parenting. And they said, all behavior is communication one way or another the child is trying to communicate with whether it's good bad terrible behavior they are trying to communicate mm -hmm. and and like you say the, with the eating eating disorder underneath that was you know underneath that behavior is is something that you're communicating, whether it's a frustration because of the limiting beliefs that you're holding on to, whether it's the anger that you had from your dad leaving, whether it's his, like the fact that he gave you slim fast for your 17th birthday indicates that he had certain views about mm -hmm. weight or, you know, along those lines. So, you know, it's, you know, whether it was your communication and frustration at, at his beliefs, who knows, but behind all behavior is 
is is communication mm. and uh, and you talked about having you you had cognitive behavioral therapy tell 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 me more about that and um because there's lots of different types of therapies out there and i always say to the clients I work with and anyone that's thinking about having any kind of therapy is that it's not for the crazy ones. It's not for alcoholics and drug addicts alone. It's for, I see it as if we all had a therapist or a mentor or a coach that makes us accountable for our behaviors. Um, But if you could share a bit more about CBT so that people can can learn a bit more about um, that. Actually, it's interesting because, um, Again, those kind of um, behavioural things, I guess, I, I look away from more these days. Um, and, and I went through a load of different tools and techniques that were kind of ch- aiming to change behaviours, I guess. Um, but the reason I kind of look away from them now is because uh, the understanding about the mind um, actually, for me, is kind of revolutionary. Um so what I mean by that is um, when psychology was originally started, when it was originally kind of investigated, um, the actual word psychology kind of um, literally translates to the connection between the mind and soul. And when we look at that, really, all we really need to understand is that, you know, our experience of life is created through the mind and that underneath that, our soul is already everything that we need to be um and so behaviors kind of looking at behaviors took us off on a different route of trying to fix and change um and so for me what was most helpful is actually seeing that who we are uh, you know our soul our essence is already everything that we need to be and the only place where there can be kind of a a Uh, not an imbalance the only place where there's anything that can be perceived as wrong I guess is in the mind um I don't know whether that makes sense but but the CBT simply for me highlighted that we think which was crucial because I didn't really realize that (laughs) um but what is what is often misinterpreted um, I feel um, is that we need to change our thinking um, because our thinking is just our thinking. And if it's just thinking, then it can't really mean anything, you know, unless unless we make it mean something. So even if it's, yeah. whether it's positive or negative thinking, it's just thought and it means nothing. And is this how you work with women when they come yes. to you? Yeah, how- so how do you approach how do you yeah, approach so that? I work one-to-one uh, with people as a life mentor um and I I basically help them to see who we really are underneath all of the thinking um because really I think the best healer is when we kind of rest in connection with who we really are um and by that I mean when we see our true nature so you know there's there's an infinite intelligence behind life that that creates everything um so you know even nature nature is just driven by an intelligence that we don't have to kind of explain or understand it's just happening life is just happening all of the time for all of us um so a tree a tree grows and and you know every autumn it sheds its leaves but it doesn't worry about why that's happening 
Um, and the only reason that we do really is because, you know, we have the capacity to think. You're quite right. We do have this innate yeah. intelligence That's within it. us. And it's that I, I, mean, I remember years ago reading the Wayne Dyer book, um, The Power of mm. Intention. And just like a flower knows how to grow through yeah. the soil towards the sun, you know, blossom, you know, every spring, um, we do have this divine intelligence. And, you know, but we forget it in this modern world, we forget, you know, and it it is, it's that who we are, and and actually, we know what we're meant to be doing on a very, you know, unconscious level. But we sort of in modern society been sidelined and got so stuck in the thought so stuck in this narrative we're not broken you know we we spend so much time thinking that we're broken and we're not and that's the most important thing for me and that's how that is how I work with with people it's it's helping them see that we aren't broken and you know we are basically nature walking around with the power of thought and and uh, that's yeah and and when we when we just see our thoughts as just thoughts and and know that underneath that we're always okay no matter what's going on because the only experience that we have of not being okay is coming from the thinking which is made up (laughs) um then that's really profound and it's not to say that we don't you know we don't suffer we don't have an experience of suffering because when we're having our suffering thinking that is going to happen because we experience our thoughts so it's about saying, okay, I see you and I love you and you're allowed to be here. Like whatever you're suffering with is allowed to be there because it's it can't impact you, but you can still allow the experience of it because the more we resist something, the more it will stay with us until we've kind of learnt, you know, <laughs> learnt that it doesn't matter. We'll learn that lesson, I guess. And I think a really interesting um, thing that you said earlier is, you know, there's a tendency to we follow social media and positive accounts that Mm. positive quotes it's like you know be happy and 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 of course you know you want to set your intention to seek happiness and and to find that peace within but it's not about just saying some affirmations and riding above the the mm, what the word the the emotions that Mm. come up um, it's actually honoring yeah. those and seeing those with conscious awareness yeah. um and and I just think it's really important to mention that that it that it's not about using just some because that becomes a disconnection yeah, from exactly. yourself when you're not honoring the feelings that you have come yeah, up in your well, body absolutely and we use these um tools of positivity as almost like a sticky plaster um and it's it's not about that it's about seeing that we can be with whatever comes up our way and we, we just have to rest in a deeper acceptance of it and allow it to be there because peace is our natural state and the only reason that we're not experiencing peace in any moment is because there's a there's a some thinking going on which is creating um the suffering i know that my catalytic moment for change was having my children on my first mm. child and they say that birth, death, divorce, moving house are, you know, often the triggers that bring up whatever's been suppressed deep inside mm. us. What would you say was the catalytic moment for you that made you go, oh, I've, I've got to take, I've got to do something here. I've got to, 
look yeah, within. I think for me it was my illness um, because I was genuinely just unable to walk. I was really, really burnt out. And so I actually lost my job and that was all very stressful. So I kind of, and I just moved house. <laughs> so, you know, you talk about all those things. Wow. I had, I had yeah. quite ticked off quite a few on that list. <laughs> um, but mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it was definitely the illness. And, and really, again, at the time, it, it seemed very, very awful and traumatic to me um, because I'd lost my job and I couldn't couldn't really go and do anything else because I couldn't even walk. Um, but yeah, it, it's at the time it seemed horrendous, but actually it was the best thing that happened to me really because now I'm doing this and I, you know what I love and and I've come across all of this amazing insight that I would never have had if I'd just carried on kind of blindly trying to make my way through life you know just forcing and and pushing and doing I think it's it's learning that we can just trust nature's plan and trust the intelligence of life to just carry us to where we need to be and that doesn't mean that we we don't have the capacity to you know dream and and create because you know we've always got the potential to achieve whatever we want to do Um, but it's just that trusting as well it's um allowing life to happen and that was I think my biggest lesson um for sure with with the chronic fatigue syndrome what do you in reflection what do you think because obviously as I said in the introduction our body keeps score and if if we if we don't take control of our minds and thoughts and go okay there's something going on here your body stores up all the emotions and it eventually speaks to you and chronic fatigue syndrome literally took your legs Mm. from under you you couldn't Mm. walk it's like the universe had you know stopped you moving forward in in a physical sense to sit you in your stuff until you looked at it how do you because as these things work it it really is very Mm. metaphorical I think it was teaching me to get quiet because all of the answers that we ever need are within And so I had been busy running around trying to fix the external my entire life, you know, do everything to be the best version of myself that I could be, (laughs) you know. And and what I saw was that actually there's there's nothing to do in order to be psychologically okay. And one of the things that I like to kind of point to is that we don't tell our hearts how to beat and we don't tell our lungs how to breathe so why are we so intent on teaching our minds how to be psychologically okay and and so really it's just about getting quiet and I think that was definitely the lesson that my body was teaching me it was like no just be still and it's okay to be still Mm. And how do you practice that in your day-to-day life now? Um, the stillness. I would say now I don't really do anything to practice it as such, but because of underst- this understanding, my mind has just generally quietened. So I used to be very anxious. I used to have a lot of anxiety, um, especially with the illness, because I was kind of stuck in the four, same four walls all of the time. And um, so... Yeah, when I eventually saw that actually I wasn't anxious, I was just having anxious thinking, that anxious thinking just began to fall away by itself because I would see, I would see that, you know, just like if there were clouds in the sky, say the sky is our wisdom and the the clouds are the thoughts that we're having. So I would just have a load of anxious thinking clouds and really 
my non-anxious, peaceful nature was behind it all of the time. But it was just that I kept going over and over and over these thoughts. And when I saw that, and it was it was literally just a case of seeing it, there was nothing really to do. When I saw that, they just began to to clear by themselves because what I had been doing basically was adding in a load more self-help things that would just add more and more clouds in so I would say right I've got to meditate right at what time I'm going to meditate okay I'm going to do it then and and then I would beat myself up if I hadn't quite made the meditation <laughs> or you know I hadn't yeah. done yoga on time and, and so all of that was just adding more thought clouds in and making me more anxious so as, as I began to drop out of that it all just kind of settled. And, and now I would say that my general state is of peace. Um, and that is everybody's general state. It's just that we have all these layers of thinking. And I think that's a really important point that you make about um, that, that we, we, we actually get so obsessed with um uh, creating a practice every day and as soon as we don't do it we we almost go into self-loathe and abuse of going oh you didn't do that oh you know you were supposed and and actually I I think the greatest thing that I have found since going on my journey was and I was uh, as you know I was a perfectionist Mm. I used to list things that I needed to get done that I didn't even really need to do but I would just fill myself and make myself busy and and now I rather than creating any kind of list of what I need to do I'll ask myself at the beginning of the day what what's what do I actually need to get done here what is really presenting itself that truthfully needs Mm -hmm. to get done because the rest of it is just Mm -hmm. noise and I just live in flow now and I just allow things to present and it's tapping into your soul what you what you really want to happen or yeah it's yes. like what do you feel like I read a brilliant book I read a brilliant book um years ago called the surrender mm. experiment um and it was about literally surrendering to yeah. to life to just allow that intelligence to mm. work through you and 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 the the, the gentleman that um wrote it he, he he really struggled with it at first because he was like I'm not used to just allowing my life to unfold and allowing that flow to take place and just literally you know when we say oh should we just go Mm. with the flow that is how I work now I just go and I and if it doesn't work out obviously wasn't meant to be and and invariably something better always ends up presenting itself anyway or something that you're like oh it was really nice it you know we ended up here and actually that that felt even nicer and 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 I just think like you say it's being in flow and not not punishing yourself for not meditating every day it's actually once you do the work you become more in tune with your soul your intuition mm. your gut feelings and what what what's presenting itself at yeah, that particular time yeah and i think time. also we we are always in flow it's just that we kind of put that that thinking in front of in front of it <laughs> if that makes sense so where our true state is flow underneath all of the thinking that it's not um, and for me, definitely, I, I definitely like you used to have these lists, but I would have a list of like self-help things that I was going to do, which really is quite amusing. 
Yeah, I think we've all been there. Nicole, thank you so much for sharing your story. Often the most powerful message comes when someone opens up and shows their vulnerability and leads from the front, and that is you. You have endured some pain in your past, but have come out shining and are now committed to helping others find that same freedom that you now enjoy. Here's to more women like you. Thank you, your beautiful rise, and for sharing your message with many women who I'm sure will eventually be able to breathe in the same clean air as you now breathe free from suffering and embracing that freedom that everyone so rightly is you know open to and and should be enjoying so oh, thank, thank you, you so much <laughs> don't forget to share my podcast honestly cat with your friends and family so that we together can reach more women and help them to rise and shine and live a happier life Your comments, support and reviews are all so welcome. And don't forget to pick up your copy of Born to Shine, the modern woman's guide to a happier life from all major bookstores. See you on the next episode of Honestly Cat. I'm your host, Cat Raincock, and it's been an absolute pleasure. This is the podcast to sit back, to listen to and to grow.